Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Glory to have with us again someone who's been a friend of our church for so many, many years and a personal friend of lots of us here. I don't feel like it's just Jeff and Rhonda that are friends of Marcus, but so many of you that uh, have come to love this man man of God. I was speaking to another friend of mine yesterday who's uh, just travelled the world preaching and I said, oh, we got Marcus here. He goes, what an amazing Bible teacher that man is. So I know you're going to be blessed this morning. The book that he's writing, I've asked him to speak out of the study and the research that he's done on that because I think it's a subject for right now in the time the whole world is in. So how about we just get on our feet together and give a great big welcome and applause to the Reverend Marcus Ardern as he comes to minister to us. Thank you, Marcus. Beautiful. Good. Well, before I turn to the Word, I want to... uh, speak first about the subject, hospitality, and to explain to you what it is and how I've experienced it. When I arrived here at Jeff and Rhonda's house, there was a a big basket on the bed. It was filled with mineral water and healthy treats, and it had been arranged by somebody who knew what I like. And there were books I was given. Last time I came here, my shoes were falling to pieces and Jeff and Rhonda had my shoes repaired and gave me a new pair. They gave me the jacket I'm now wearing. Their hospitality was not theoretical but real. I needed equipment. I didn't have the money to buy it. But they shared out of their wealth. And I'm aware that when people give out of their money or their wealth, that's time out of their lives. Uh, That's part of their wages. That's something that could have been spent on other things. I stayed at one, I often stay in people's houses. I stayed at one person's house, and the lady said, I'm looking forward to you going so I get my sewing room back. Another house I stayed at, I was in the little boy's room and the, the mother said, the little boy is only too happy, Charlie's happy that you've got his room. He said, no, I'm not. <laughs> I've been in great Samoan feasts where they'll borrow money to give a feast and go without during the week so they can honour you. I stayed at a a Maori Marae, that's a Polynesian village compound sort of thing, uh, where they were not expecting me. The Lord told me, go there and preach, and I went. Nobody had invited me. And I met a drunk in the street, and the Lord said, submit to him, and he'll open the door for you. So I told him that. I went up to him, and I said, look, 
I know this is strange, but I'm a man of God. He told me to come to you and to submit to you. Unknown to me, he was the paramount elder of the area, and he sent the message ahead. They brought a bed uh, that was arranged for King Koriki. They brought mats, woven mats. They put them all out in the marae. There were ladies who practiced manuhiritanga, which is the welcome of the stranger, and they washed my clothes. And they did many things for me, and I said to them, why are you doing this for me? And they said, don't be conceited, none of it is for you. <laughs> it's for the God you represent. Now, that was very important for me to understand that, because Jesus said in Matthew 25, as much as you did it to these, the least of my brethren, you did it unto me. And there's a list of people there uh, in Matthew 25, and at the end of it, somebody says to Jesus, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you sick? And he said, and as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Every culture has a tradition of hospitality. And one of the most fav famous stories comes from a man called Ovid, who 200 years before Paul experienced a nearly identical event in his own life, he wrote a story about the god Zeus, who was patron saint of travelers and hospitality, arriving at somebody's village and asking to stay the night. Balkis and Philemon is the story. Uh, Peter Paul Rubens did great paintings of the story. And according to the story, Zeus arrived with his offsider Hermes, also known as Mercury, and they were in disguise. And every house, all the rich people, locked their doors and hadn't got a kind word and didn't receive them. And in the end, the gods arrived to a little house a poor house with a goose outside that was guarding the house. And the poor couple, Philemon and Balkis, welcomed the gods in disguise and blessed them and shared the last of their food with them and were going to kill the goose even. And then the gods revealed themselves as who they were and said, we're going to curse the town because of what has happened and they sent a great flood, they told Balkis and Philemon, climb the mountain and don't look back. What I find fascinating about that story is uh, we're going to turn soon to Acts chapter 14 where Paul experienced something like it. The Bible is very clear that when God allows you to minister to him, he often comes in disguise. St. Teresa called it God's distressing disguises. Um, those of you who have been Roman Catholic will know the story of St. Christopher who helps a child across a stream and then realises the child is the baby Christ. Again, the thought is God in disguise. Uh, in Sanskrit writings, uh, there is the, in India, there is the statement... The guest 
is God. The guest is God. In Polynesian culture in Hawaii, uh, they practice something they call aloha nui, the great love, where you're greeted with flowers and you're made to feel welcome and they act as if it's a great honour that you came amongst them. Not that you're tedious and trying and they've hardly got enough food and they have to share. No, they love to lavish kindness on you and welcome on you and make you feel that you have done them the favour. In Genesis, there are two great stories of hospitality. There are more, but two of the most famous ones. One is Abraham is in the door of his tent or the veranda of his tent and he's looking out and he sees three nomads. And he leaves the shelter and he goes after them and begs them, asks them, entreats them, one translation says, to come and rest in his tent and be fed. He's entertaining angels unawares. He doesn't know they're angels, he discovers later on. They don't have wings and halos as dead giveaways. And they give him a gift at the end. They say, in a year, you will have a child. He tells his wife to bake bread for them, and Sarah not only bakes bread, she turns on a banquet. Later on, in Genesis 19, Lot and his wife, in the city of Sodom, welcome some people that seem to need help, and they turn out to be angels, and they too destroy the city for its unfaithfulness and lack of welcome. Usually when you hear about why Sodom was destroyed, you hear about sexual perversion, but what you don't hear is what it says in Ezekiel, it was pride, fatness, and fullness of bread, and refusal to welcome strangers. In Hebrews 13 verse 2, it says, be careful to entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unaware. Let's go to um, Acts chapter 14, where I'll read you the story of what happened to the Apostle Paul when he went to a particular place and strange things occurred. Acts chapter 14. I've got the wrong reference here. Oh, shame. Okay, well, then I'll just tell you the story. 
they received a great welcome, there was a great healing, and when the healing happened, um, the people said, the gods have come amongst us, and it must be Zeus and, and Hermes, it must be Mercury and so on. These people for 200 years had heard, it is Acts 14, uh, Jupiter and Mercury, and they obviously had heard Ovid's story, and here they thought it, and they heard Paul saying, no, that's not who we are at all, we're just servants of God. When Jesus says, as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me, the Bible says that we ought to receive each other as if we were Christ. But there's another thing it says in John 15, uh, verse 7, it says, Receive one another as Christ has received you. Now when we receive somebody and we accept somebody, it means we don't shut them out, we open up to them. If you receive people with an indifference and just treat it like they're an imposition and you're tolerating them, like the lady with the sewing room, you're made to feel you're on a time clock. You're made to feel as if it would be better you weren't there. Good hospitality, you're amazed that somebody could love you that much or cherish you that much that they would do that much. That's how I feel in Jeff and Rhonda's house. I don't have them on a great pedestal. But I know that when they have given, often they've given sacrificially. That is, they've given not out of great riches. When I read about hospitality in Scripture, one of the things I see is that most of the people who are given as shining examples of hospitality are not rich. There are exceptions. Abraham was rich. Uh, Gaius in First uh, John chapter 3 uh, was very rich and he helped the disciples and especially strangers and so Paul uh, commends him for the great thing that he did. In Philemon there is a runaway slave called Onesimus and he's about to go home and Paul writes to his friend and says, when he gets back, don't scold him or punish him for being a runaway. I've grown to love him, so I want you to treat him as if he was me. That's a huge ask. He doesn't say, for my sake, be kind to him. He says, treat him as if he was me. What you would do for me, do for him. And then he says, you actually owe me but I'm not going to mention that, but too late, he's done it. In Scripture, many times when people show hospitality, it is for somebody else's sake. For the Lord's sake, we receive each other. But you also have the story of David who says, for my friend Jonathan, does he have any children that I may bless for his sake? And so he blesses the child of his friend for his friend's sake. The Bible says we, whoever loves the father loves the son born of him. And how you treat people's children is a good index of whether you really love them. And people do take it personally if you act friendly to the parents and not to the children. It's a, uh, Jesus said, whoever receives a little child receives me. So again you have this thought of 
you're not just being kind to the person, you're being kind to who they symbolize. You're like those Maori people uh, who honored me, not just for my own sake, but for the Lord. There was a woman in Russia who had a husband who had been a pastor and the authorities injected him with chemicals which gave him premature dementia. And when they persecuted Christians in those days, uh, if you were declared insane, they could confiscate your property. He'd many times defied them by preaching the gospel openly. And when they injected him with the chemicals that gave him the dementia, he couldn't toilet himself, he couldn't feed himself, uh, and he didn't recognize his friends. And somebody said to his wife, how can you keep such a good demeanor when your husband has been ruined? And she said, I now have an altar where I can leave my gifts for Jesus as I serve him. He has counted me worthy to suffer for his name's sake. The Bible talks about joy that spread amongst the persecuted and they shared their goods with each other. In Acts chapter 2, uh, we read that people broke bread house to house and they shared everything they had with each other. It was a brief period. It didn't last. It's not the pattern for all believers everywhere. But what I see is that hospitality is not just you showing off your wealth or your cooking skills, it's receiving each other and saluting the dignity and sovereignty that God has put on each individual. That statement of the lady, I have an altar where I can leave my gifts for Christ, that is a very real thing. I know when people uh, make a fuss of me, I can't take it to heart because I know my sins and I know my disqualifications. But I know the mercy of God, and I do know I am a man of God. And I do know that Jesus said, if you receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, you will receive the righteous man's reward. If you receive a prophet in the name of the prophet, you receive the prophet's reward. One church uh, pastor said to me, we've thought of having you, but we're not sure if we can squeeze you in. We have so many speakers. I said to him, I don't want to be squeezed in. I said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where did I get that from? That's what the Lord Jesus himself said. You should receive guests eagerly, not reluctantly. You should give to them purposely not without. And the people who you should particularly enjoy having are those that can never repay. Jesus said, when you make a feast, don't let it be for other rich folk only, or your peers, or even your neighbours. Let it be for the maimed and the halt and the outcast who can never repay. There you are receiving Christ at your table. There are limits the Bible speaks of bad guests, guests who 
use hospitality wrongly. You have to set boundaries for your children's sake. You do not throw open your doors to everybody in the street. You could bring child predators in or thieves and you could have been the one that set before them temptations to steal or whatever else. You have to choose how to love and whom to love. But it says, be not high-minded, but associate with the lowly. It's not an excuse to say, we'll only mix with our class. But you do have to pace yourself. And you do have to give as the Lord directs. The Bible tells stories of the poor who received Elijah or Elisha and how God multiplied their food when they were willing to give. They didn't give out of an abundance. They gave their all. And some of the best meals I've had have been simple soups or salads, not the great ritzy meals. Also, I found with hospitality, you can get it so structured that the heart goes out of it, the soul goes out of it. Uh, I worked very closely with Youth with a Mission, which I love, a great uh, mission outreach group, and they had hospitality baskets hospitality baskets, they fill it with candy, they have a card and they write a scripture that they've waited on the Lord to see what Bible promises they should bless you with. They get a room ready, they make a fuss of you, they receive you for the Lord's sake. But it has been done so many hundreds and hundreds of times that in the end it's just one more basket for one more guest. And the trick is to keep it personal, where it's not just a big corporation blessing you or a big church blessing you, but something intimate and personal. That's why I liked that the basket in my room didn't just have all candy, it had uh, dried fruit and healthy things, healthy options and so on. There was forethought. One of the great things when you have good hospitality is that you have delighted in preparing for the delight of the guests before they arrived. So Psalm 23, a table thou hast prepared for me. And the Bible, the Hebrew of it says, a table thou hast spread. A good spread, we say, a good spread when you're cooking for a sharing gang, have a good spread. That table, the Bedouins are very famous for their spreads. The Lebanese very famous for their spreads. The Chinese very famous for their spreads. They love not just to feed you, but to have a beautifully set table which is prepared for your delight, the, the eye's delight as well as the palate. And I like the thought of a prepared meal because of that personal thing. When I was in the Scandinavia, I was ushered into one of the YWAM rooms. I was tired. It had been a long time on the road where I hadn't been able to hang clothes on coat hangers, just living out of the suitcase. And they showed me to a beautiful room with the welcome basket. And it was like a log cap cabin. It was. I couldn't wait for the the hostess to leave so I could bounce on the bed and hang my clothes and I had the room looking as if I'd lived there for a year. Within minutes I 
had everything spread out and she knocked on the door and said, look, I'm awfully sorry. I thought you were the other speaker. This room is not for you. So I said to the Lord, please cancel all that praise and thanksgiving. (laughs) And they took me to my lesser room. (laughs) It was good for me. (laughs) One of the things I really appreciate in a hospitality room is when the closet is empty and you're not just hanging stuff up amongst other people's clothes, which emphasise the fact that you need to leave and the clock is ticking. It's good if you can, not everyone can set aside a room, but it's great when you can set aside a room for somebody. And I have seen that happen. Uh, I had a very good friend, Dorothy Kissling. She had read about the prophet's chamber, a bed, a table, a lampstand, a place of welcome, and she deliberately did it. And I knew there was always a welcome at her house. One of the things I find remarkable in Scripture is that there are people like Paul who said, I've longed to come to you for a long time, and when I can, I want you to help me on my way to Spain. And you just go, he's actually asking for something. Jesus borrowed his donkey, he borrowed the loaves and fishes, he borrowed many, many things, and he did to ask. And I think that it's great when you have shown hospitality to people enough times that they can say, I would like to come to you. And Paul did. <laughs> but he did more than that. He sometimes sent other people saying, I want you to receive them for the Lord's sake. And to one group of people, uh, he said, and when they leave, leave, send them out in a manner worthy of the gospel. <laughs> send them out with equipment. Now, the custom in ancient Greece was that the host has certain divine responsibilities and the guest has certain divine responsibilities. When you arrived at a house in ancient Greece and in ancient Rome, first they feed you and entertain you and give you a place of rest and shelter, and afterwards they ask you what your business is, and then you tell them why you came. Then they entertain you, usually it's not a fixed period, but it was normally four days, and then you go on uh, with whatever gifts you have given to your host and whatever gifts your host has given to you. I think it's a good pattern. Paul is writing to people who come from that culture and experience those things. And we can learn from one of the things that breaks down race hatred is to learn the welcoming culture of strangers who are not like us, old races and what they have learned about hospitality. The poor are much more likely to invite you to a feast than the rich. And there is something that takes place over eating together. The Bible often uses a word called koinonia or koinonia, which means to share together or to eat together. 
And so when it talks about the fellowship of your faith, it is saying it's faith is like a meal that you have together, not just individual random faith, but you share it. You are eating together. When we worship together, we are fellow workers, we are fellow laborers, we are fellow believers, we are fellow citizens. That word fellow is based on koinonia, common sharing. When I know that I'm attached to you and you're attached to me, I'm aware that when I bless you, I'm blessing my God. It isn't just about you. It isn't just about me. It's receiving one another for the Lord's sake, receiving one another as if the other person is him. When Jesus is resurrected, he meets his disciples over a charcoal fire where he's grilling fish and says, come and have breakfast. And he asks them, have you got any fish? That's such a strange thing. The host is asking for provision as well as providing. And I believe it's completely legitimate to ask somebody else uh, to contribute or to aid you as you supply somebody else. The Bible has a story about a man who gets unexpected guests, so he knocks on his neighbor's door and says, I haven't got any bread to set before them, but I'm going to persist until you give me the bread, and his friend rises and gives him all that he needs. I'm very aware that when I set my heart to hospitality, God will give me all that I need, but I may need to ask other people to help. And when you're in the Middle East, you will find that people actually do ask each other to contribute to the meal. You don't see it as a guest. You find out later they borrowed in order to give. Again and again, the Bible stories about the poor providing show that they weren't shortchanged. Later on, they were blessed because they blessed. God told Abraham... Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Brother Barry Smith, who was a great evangelist, uh, once bought soft drink and ice cream for an evangelistic troop that I was part of. And I'm going, Barry, how can you afford to do all this? He said, I'm blessing Abraham's children. When I bless them, uh, I get a blessing back. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. God takes it personally when your hospitality is real. Even Jesus in Revelations 3 says, I am a guest who wants to come in with you, so I stand at the door and knock. And if you will answer, I will come in and eat with you, and you will go in and out and find pasture. In other words, he says, I want fellowship with you. I want to know you. I want to have a meal with you. I want you to eat with me. I don't want to remain a stranger. It's not a, he's not a beggar begging for welcome. You're not doing him a favor to let him in. You're doing yourself a favor. And I used to look at that thinking, how strange that he says this to believers, not just to the unsaved. He says, I'm knocking. Will you welcome me in? The truth is there are many Christian homes that have never been open to the outcast. 
they've never been open to the helpless. And those people are shortchanging themselves because they would enjoy their meal better if they shared it. Like I said, you don't have to share every meal, share some meals. There are two ways of giving to the poor. One is corporate, where you give through an agency, and that's valid and right. And the church gave corporately in the New Testament. Uh, Paul tells people, I want you to lay up stuff on the first day of the week and don't let it be affected by greed, don't regret giving it. That was arranged, that was systematic, that was a group giving. And group giving many churches practice, and it's wonderful. When I first arrived to Cairns, uh, I discovered that the churches had very much on their heart to feed the poor and shelter them, and there were Presbyterian social services, Catholic social services, Salvation Army social services, various Pentecostal agencies, uh, One New Guinea Church, uh, feeds and showers up to 200 homeless people every week. Uh, I see many wonderful things being done corporately, but that doesn't undo the personal thing of taking a basket of coffee and food to some widow who is taking in strangers or inviting people into her home. We can equip each other for hospitality. We can help each other practice the hospitality. Something I have noticed just as I uh, end this, I've noticed churches that are generous have a different spirit to churches that are, how can I grow and be praised and be blessed, uh, and they have no outward giving. The churches who support missions, the brightest lights shine furthest from home, the churches that delight to give and wish they could give more. There's a different spirit there. When a church is mean-spirited and tight-fisted, there's never a free flow of blessing. Sometimes I'm in a church and I think, I wish they got a revelation of giving selflessly and often where the river flows freely. Something I know about money and provision, it flows. And if you stop it, it gets like the Dead Sea, it goes stagnant, it becomes brackish, uh, it becomes a swamp instead of a river. But a river has got clearly defined banks, and I believe we should discipline ourselves to practice hospitality. And when you receive it, know that these people know how to bless in the name of the Lord. One last story. I went to again a Samoan church which gave a rather large offering, much larger than I would normally receive and I was invited to speak at a polytechnic and they said we can't afford your travel or your accommodation but we'd like you to come. So I went with the money from the Samoan AOG and I told them, I said these people have made it possible, send them a thank you letter which they did. A man got saved at that rally who later on uh, pastored a church in Monte Carlo and reached people worldwide but it came out of a tiny meeting in New Zealand which was funded by people from a Samoan church who had nothing to do with the other Christian group except that they knew they were Christians and they were happy to release the money 
as you bless, the blessing flows and the reward comes back and Jesus takes it personally. God bless you.